the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. As we head into hour three, I was asked to reprise this, so I will do that. Say goodnight. The party's over. That's the title from the latest out of The Bulwark. It's a website of former Republicans or Republicans who don't support the Republican Party or Republicans who don't support the choices of Republican voters, which shows you how much they respect the notion of the consent of the governed which is to say they don't respect it, or at least they respect it only so much as it is their exclusive cause of ire and criticism with nothing to say about what Democrats are up to, what leftism is up to, what liberalism is up to, which kind of shows you how much they care about why there should be a Republican Party at all. We have two or more parties in this country because I would think it obvious to an adult one party does not represent the views of vast portions of the population and thus They need a counterweight because they have a different set of concerns, or at least a different set of policy solutions to the same concerns. Too much poverty? One party thinks you hand money and subvention out or try to make the rich poorer. The other party sees opportunity enrichment and tries to create and enhance conditions for earned success or economic liberty. This isn't new. And it surprises me it comes or would come as news to adults at a website involved in the business of politics especially as they hold themselves out as caring about conservatism and the Republican Party. The founders are Bill Kristol, Charlie Sykes, and the author of the piece I mentioned above, one Sarah Longwell. Kristol, in his day, opposed universal health care, worked as the chief of staff for Dan Quayle when he was vice president, and was one of the most ardent opponents of gay marriage and supporters of lower taxes. Crystal is also credited with pressing and promoting Sarah Palin as a VP nominee for John McCain in 2008. No Bill Crystal, no Sarah Palin. And perhaps before it was time, he and David Brooks, now with the New York Times, were the inventors of a label and project of theirs they kicked off in the late 1990s called National Greatness Conservatism. You might think a Republican or conservative movement dedicated to making America great again or American greatness might find sucker there, but no, and more on that in a moment. Back to the essay. It opens by saying that for years, these uh, conservatives have watched the defenestrations, that's their word, defenestrations of Republicans from within the Republican Party, and they give us a list. Will Hurd, Jeff Flake, George W. Bush... The memory of John McCain, Paul Ryan, Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, and any other Republican who stood up to the MAGA movement. Hell of a list. What, for instance, can anyone tell me about Will Hurd? What was he known for? What did he do? He did one thing, so far as I recall, and it's the only thing that made him famous, as far as I can tell, which is challenging and condemning Donald Trump. I never heard of him before that. Never heard of a conservative issue or Republican position he made a strong stand for or any stand for that was noticeable to anyone whatsoever. Jeff Flake. 
He was known as one of the most difficult to work with Republicans when he was in the House and same again when he was in the Senate. His name became most famous when he was the single Republican who helped Barack Obama normalize or try to normalize relations with Cuba. The December 2014 headline from Politico was, quote, Obama's Republican ally on Cuba, close quote. It's all about Jeff Flake. You might think someone so opposed to tyranny and who would later call Donald Trump a tyrant might have first made such an observation about the Castro cartel, especially as that experiment to normalize relations with Cuba has foundered with a doubling down of the tyranny that is Cuba since then. And after Raul Castro claimed the normalization effort was a defeat of the United States, Cuba thought they won. It's not so much that Republicans threw Jeff Flake out. He threw out one of the chief principles of the Republican Party, standing up to communism, especially in our hemisphere and especially in Cuba. Jeff Flake wrote a book after he chose not to run for re-election. His book stole the title from Barry Goldwater's book, The Conscience of a Conservative, as if he, Flake, were the true conscience of conservatism. Jeff Flake would whine that Trump's language was unbecoming of a national leader, but it was Flake who literally and vocally compared Donald Trump to Joseph Stalin, showing his understanding to be quite wanting about what communism was or is in the first place. George W. Bush, they mention, I'm not sure what the bulwark wants us to do with Bush. He was a two-term president, the whole party and movement got behind, and then he retired. Normally, popular presidents speak at their successor nominees' conventions. His successor nominee was John McCain in 2008. McCain and his team did not invite George W. Bush to speak at the GOP convention in 2008. So who defenestrated who? And am I missing something, or was Bush also not at the 2012 Mitt Romney convention? Again, who defenestrated who? And am I missing something, or aren't McCain and Romney the beau ideals of these anti-MAGA Republicans? So McCain and Romney sideline Bush, and the MAGA movement is blamed for sidelining McCain, Romney, and Bush. But who sidelined who again? As for McCain and Trump having a feud, it was McCain who drew first blood by saying Trump was firing up the crazies. That's his phrase, firing up the crazies, when Trump announced his candidacy for president. And as far as Republicans' support for McCain or McCain's support for Republicans go, McCain promised to build a wall and then voted against it. He promised to end Obamacare and then voted against doing so, tricking the voters or lying to them in both cases, and the decisive vote, by the way, on the Obamacare. In all of his ventures, Bill Kristol became the most famous in 1993 for leading the national effort to stop Hillary Care. When it became Obamacare, McCain ended up supporting it, but he's Bill Kristol's hero. Explain that definition of commitment to principle for me. You can't. Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. I really don't know anything about Kinzinger. Kin Kin Kinzinger, <laughs> sorry. But like Will Hurd, if you thought he was some kind of prominent conservative or Republican for or on behalf of anything other than challenging Trump, I'm open to the correction. That is to say, the only thing he was known for was challenging Trump. Where were his conservative credentials or profiles and courage on behalf of the party or movement before that? In other words, with what heft did he come to the fore as a conscientious, wise conservative or hero for any cause before that? And Liz Cheney? 
I'm simply amazed at how much the Democrats have embraced her and how self-deflating and of low self-respect she must be. She, her dad, and her family were lambasted as the embodiment of evil, labeled everything from Darth Vader to terrorists in and of themselves by the Democrats. Until she decided that when the same was said of Donald Trump, those same labels, she would join that course and rehabilitate or try to rehabilitate her reputation that way. She has proven useful to the Democrats who never found a Cheney they wouldn't slander until then. And when she joined them, yeah, the voters of Wyoming decided she should run with the party she kisses the ring of, the Democrats. You see a pattern here? You don't find Democrats ever breaking rakes to join Republicans. You see Republicans doing it all the time, and thus, forgive those of us who stay in the party because we believe in its principles and the choices of our fellow citizens in elections that we don't defect over from petty or personal moral self-importance or needs for Klieg lights. There's another point to be made here, best summed up by David Rayboy's question. Do you know what time it is? These Republicans who jumped ship to join the Democrats' war against us simply refuse to see the clock, the dangers within and coming from the Democratic Party, which makes one wonder why they were ever Republicans in the first place. In other words, as I sketched out above, every hero exists only because there is an anti-hero. We get this from every children's story, nearly every Greek play, nearly every biblical tale, and nearly every comic book ever known to man. There's no point, in other words, to be a Republican if there's not a problem with the Democrats. And these heroes of the bulwark obviously see no danger or problem emanating from the Democratic Party. The Cheneys and Crystals have problems with Iran, that's for sure. That's been their chief foreign policy concern for years, and foreign policy was Liz Cheney's chief issue. Trump pulled out of the deal that saturated Iran with billions of dollars that even the architect of that plan, John Kerry, who ran against Bush, let us not forget. Even John Kerry admitted we would see some of those billions end up in the hands of terrorists. So the Cheneys and the Crystals go after Trump, the guy who did what the Cheneys and Crystals said they wanted, but who support the party that is now doing everything it can to shower more billions onto the malocracy. And they call this principle? Principled conservatism? Now, about that project of national greatness conservatism that Bill Crystal dreamed up and promoted with David Brooks in the late 1990s, that was their effort and passion until the war on terror came. The project was dedicated, in their words, to be, quote, a great project designed to physically and spiritually unify the nation. Close quote. The project was dedicated to reinvigorating what, quote, Americans did when they redoubled their devotion to American nationalism Hit by economic blows to their confidence, they reasserted their faith in themselves. Faced by anxiety and intellectual uncertainty, they did not succumb to malaise or cynicism, close quote. Holy cow. They supported American nationalism. Their word. And they went further, almost chiliastically so, writing, quote, At their best, those Americans asked big questions. How can America produce a culture it can be proud of? How will the inhabitants of some future world power look back on American achievement during its moment of supremacy? What are the steps that a nation can take to preserve the virtues that lead to greatness in the first place? Close quote. American supremacy, you say? I could go on and on, but you get the point. The point is all this noise from the Bulwarkians is not work of principle. 
When they had a movement that represented all they said was of the utmost importance upon principle, they cheered for the opponents. And let us recall the full name of that movement that they don't like. Make America Great Again. Worth reciting. The more they speak of their virtue, the faster we should count our spoons. Turns out their principle is about themselves and their own relevance and to hell with real principle. Supporting and building America and doubling down on her greatness, opposing communism, opposing state sponsors of terror. When they had that, they went against it. There's this notion some people say about conservatism, Inc., that they just don't like winning and they prefer losing. Well, it has its ring of truth right here, doesn't it? And that self-destruction, abandonment of ethics, is not only psychological self-harm, it is political and national harm. Count me as glad these devoid of principle politicians have been defenestrated. That means literally thrown out of a window. They inherited not success by dint of their own efforts, but they inherited the wind by dint of their own abandonment of ground and jumping out into it. And what does it mean to inherit the wind? To inherit nothing. Ours is not a party. Ours is not a movement of nihilism. Theirs is. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If you're worried about stock market volatility, I can offer you up. My friends at Y-Refi can offer you up an investment in a portfolio with a strong fixed rate of return, no correlation to the stock market. They're offering this investment in a secure and collateralized portfolio with an up to 10.25% return for investors. And the investment your investment can be in a trust, it can be in an IRA, just as much as it can be an individual or joint investment. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm. It's made up of really great guys. I know them well. They do really good by doing well for others, and you can be a part of that as well. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y. InvestYRefi.com or give them a call at 855-316-3087. 855-316-3087. They'll never give you a sales pitch. They're just happy to talk about what they do and let it speak for itself. You know, I was getting into this a little bit in the first hour uh, when I did that monologue originally or initially. And uh, just add, add a thought to it. There's this other odd thing about uh, call them whatever you want, moderate Republicans, soft Republicans, um, and uh, m- the more conservative ones, let us say. Or the, if you want MAGA ones, I, I, I don't care, whatever phrase. I think you know basically the, the valence, the fuselage I'm talking about here. When our kind of Republican isn't the nominee, doesn't um, prevail in a primary and one of those softer types, perhaps, or one of those more moderate types, perhaps, or one of those more liberal Republicans gets nominated. They ask us to rally for them. And you know what? We do. We rally hard for them. Think about how hard we worked. It's a memory now, but I remember it for Bush in 04 and McCain in 08 as presidential candidacies, or Romney in 12. Yeah, we had our gripes and we had our concerns, and then the primaries were over and uh, the ballots were counted, 
and we trusted the uh, consent of the governed, and we went hardcore for those nominees. They expected us to, and we showed up. We knocked doors, we argued, we fought on their behalf. And we always do. We always do. Does it work the other way? Does it go the other way that much? Do the moderates or the liberal Republicans, when they lose, go as hard out and strong out for conservative Republicans? You know, it all goes back to that famous speech of Barry Goldwater's in 1960 that I keep bringing up. Let's grow up, conservatives. It wasn't the 64 speech that was more famous, but in 1960, when he made a slight attempt to run for presidency on the Republican ticket, um, Nixon prevailed. Nixon was the obviously more liberal of the two Republicans. And that's why Barry Goldwater said, let's grow up, Republicans, just because you didn't get your way. Put your shoulder to the wheel for Richard Nixon. Anything else is... This is where we get the phrase blueprint for socialism. Everything else is supporting the Democratic Party, which is the modern blueprint for socialism. Barry Goldwater's phrase. He's absolutely right. Because, and, 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 and we did it. And we showed up for Nixon. And then those guys didn't show up for Goldwater, did they, in 64? I mean, Nixon did, but that part of the party didn't. Mitt Romney's dad, George Romney, governor of Michigan, told people he walked out of that convention speech of Barry Goldwater's in 1964. Nelson Rockefeller called Barry Goldwater an extremist. That's where Barry Goldwater gave, and why Barry Goldwater gave the extremism in defense of liberty is no vice speech. It wasn't about Vietnam, and it wasn't about the Democrats. It was about the Rockefeller Republicans. In any event, my point is this. Why is it the conservative wing of the Republican Party that always has to make the concessions and concessions we are happy to make when we don't prevail. But the liberal wing of the Republican Party never feels the moral compulsion or the moral impulsion to do the same thing. It's not a hard choice. It's not a hard call for me. Uh, You may not agree as a liberal Republican with everything conservative Republicans stand for. I would make the case that conservatism is the heartbeat of the Republican Party. It was founded on conservative principles, and it has maintained them for the most part ever since, especially when you look at the policies of our greatest. But, you know, if you are a liberal Republican who is uneasy with conservative Republicans, I'm assuming that means you're uneasy with something between 50 and 90 percent of what they say. 50 to 90 percent of what conservative Republicans stand for? Okay, fine. What percentage of what the Democratic Party stands for are you okay with? Five percent? Six percent? You okay with a party that believes in abortion up to and after the nine month? You okay with a party that wants to shower billions of dollars on Iran but boycott Israel? You okay with a party that wants men in women's locker rooms? You okay with a party that wants men on women's school sports teams? Are you okay with a party that is gone the most extreme left since even McGovern or before McGovern? Are you okay with that party? You're telling me you are. It doesn't make you not a conservative. It makes you not a Republican.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. As we do every Wednesday, we check in with our constitutional and legal scholar, Brett Johnson. He is a partner with the Snell and Wilmer Law Firm based here in Phoenix, offices around the country. SWLaw.com is their website, SWLaw. I was, um, as many of you know, I, I, I interviewed Rachel Mitchell uh, yesterday on the show, uh, candidate for county attorney. And I was just kind of toying around this morning on on what the case is against her. And uh, I decided I would go and look at uh, one of the more uh, progressive legal organizations, or at least one of the more respected progressive legal organizations, the ACLU. And they have a webpage on the Office of County Attorney. And uh, looking at it, boy, I'll tell you, their view of what the job is and what my view of what the job is and what I think Arizona Revised Statutes view of what the job is are very different things. Brett, you saw this, and and, and, and you, you thought it was a bit of a head-scratcher too, right? I did. I did. But, you know, in, in this uh, current environment where, you know, we have a TV commercial for TV commercial saying, I'll do X and I'll do Y, and I sit there on the couch and I say, that's not in your job description. <laughs> right. How are you possibly yeah. going to be able to do that? Yeah. So when I when I read that, uh, you know, what the ACLU was putting out, too, it was definitely a head-scratcher and obviously – um, well, well outside of what the county attorney can do here in the state of Arizona. Yeah, I, it, it seems odd to me, um, and it seems a little bit, I have to tell you, too, of uh, ACLU, it's a nonprofit, a little bit of their finger on the scale. They have on their page, a reform-minded county attorney can turn the tide by making a commitment to work in the interest of people, not prisons. Um, people, not prisons. I don't... Can you protect people without prisons, Brett? <laughs> you know, going back thousands of years, the answer is no. Okay. You, can't. Right. you have to have some place to put them. I mean, even, you know, I'm a Navy guy, and even on a Navy ship, we have a, we have a jail, right? Yeah. So there's a reason for everything. So you, you have to, for, for purposes of, uh, of, of being able to incarcerate, even if it's just to have somebody calm down over the night um, after a, a bad night of drinking or something along those lines, going back to our Western roots. Um, you need to have some place to be able to to incarcerate people um, and then be able to, you know, exercise their due process rights. But the other one was interesting on the ACLU, um, the website, was basically that, um, you know, she was that the, the county attorney is basically judge, jury, yeah. um, prosecutor yeah. and, and executioner. Yeah. Because, you know, the, I thought that was very, very interesting of how they kind of said uh, that that she will not um, hold people accountable even if the charges are, are, are brought. And that, that's usually the, you know, the job of the, of the judge. So, you know, I did, you know, when I, I was preparing for today, I looked at the Arizona statutes and the county attorney, it's a really boring job description. I'm, a, I'm an attorney. You're an attorney. It's boring. Easy it's there. Easy there. <laughs> Don't, stop, stop the name calling. Yeah. Don't call me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Easy there. You're my you, friend. You go, you, go into, you, you go into court, you provide legal counseling, you know, it's a lot of book work and you're, you're giving research and analysis. You're not, you're not basically the person coming out. That's what, you know, when I was very young, I was coming out of the Navy. They said, hey, if you want to be wealthy, don't go be, uh, don't, don't go join a law firm because the law firm were purely there as, uh, as chess pieces uh, on, on other people doing, taking, taking action. In many cases, the executive or in the county's perspective, uh, the board of supervisors, and you're providing guidance. And guess what? People don't have to take your guidance. Yeah. And no one's definitely forced to take your guidance. And the county attorney, Accountable. Now, the one caveat I'll put out there is the concept of prosecutorial discretion. Yeah, let's talk that, about that. that is a, 
Sure. So that, that's a true legal doctrine. And I don't want anybody to be misnomer. And so when you see candidates saying, I am not going to prosecute that crime, um, that that's not necessarily supposed to be because I don't like the policy behind it. It's usually I have I do have higher uh, um, cases that I need to I need to pursue or based off of individual case analysis. Right. So, you know, somebody uh, commits a crime and is brought before me is do I want to spend resources on this matter and judicial resources on this matter or or take a different matter? But you don't do that on a on a, a wide swath where you're just saying I'm not going to enforce laws that the legislature or the board of supervisors tells me I have to. Enforce. Yeah, it pause on that for it. Yeah, that this is a big one to me. I, I I think it goes to more than the issue that that the Democrat Julie Gunnigal is talking about, and because what we're talking about is their very first question. It kind of tells you where the ACLU is. Their very first question is: Will you exercise your prosecutorial discretion to not prosecute providers in abortion related cases? And what the Democrat candidate for county attorney says is she won't prosecute. Anything having to do with the crime that becomes the state law of Arizona or let me hit the commercial break real quick, Brett. This is kind of a big issue and we'll pick it up on the other side if that's OK. Yeah, uh, thanks. Perfect. Good. Thank you. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Brett Johnson. And we will both be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Brett Johnson, our constitutional and legal scholar from the Snell and Wilmer Law Firm, is with us. And we're talking about this interesting uh, push and questionnaire that the ACLU of Arizona is putting out on the county attorney race. And we're talking about this issue of prosecutorial discretion, which generally means that a person in a process... Brett, you'll correct me whenever I get something wrong, but it generally means... When a prosecutor has any number of cases before uh, themselves, they have to kind of rank them, prioritize them, triage them and figure out which ones have the most evidence and make the most sense to go forward on. And a few other balancing, uh, probably balancing tests that they go through. But I have never, Brett, you tell me, I have just never seen them say a whole category of crimes will not be prosecuted because I know better or because I just don't believe in what the people of Arizona or the legislature of Arizona and the governor passed, which is what the Democrat Julie Gunnigal is saying when it comes to abortion. She's simply saying, I will not prosecute abortion laws under the prosecutorial discretion. Thumb in the eye, thumb in, thumb in the eye of the law, thumb in the eye of the notion, thumb in the eye of the people of Arizona. If they have will to pass something, who is she to say in and of herself, talk about judge, jury, and execution, or a judge, jury, and uh, Planned Parenthood, she do, she's, not going, she's not going to take any of those cases. And, and that's right. And, and the only time in recent memory that you've seen this is, is actually in Oregon and Washington um, during uh, the, the social disturbances several months ago, or several, uh, several summers ago. And, and in that context is, is that where prosecutors were, but again, it was about a, a specific event, basically a riot or property damage, where they put a blanket out there, we are not going to go charge people for trespass or for disorderly behavior. But again, that was tied to a specific event, and, and quite honestly, it was probably tied to not only resources, but public opinion and a lot of other different factors, but again, tied to a different event. In Arizona, you don't have that ability, and, and there's actually Arizona state statute that's been, and, and many other states too, where uh, other governmental officials can bring what's called a quo warrant um, action against 
somebody who's refusing to do their job because they can't just pick and choose what laws they're going to apply. Again, case by case basis, they may be able to. But if they have a blanket policy of not being able uh, or not being willing to follow the law, um, that that uh, the, the, the uh, in this case, the county attorney could be forced to start taking those cases. And usually they'll backtrack pretty quickly. But it is it is a disturbing um, effort because then you could have a county attorney being literally the most important person in the state. And, and ironically, in, in, in recent history, you've heard that is that who's the most important person in the state. It's actually the Maricopa County attorney because they do wield so much power over so many people in, in uh, the major part of Arizona. And that's concerning where one person is able to do that. And that's, not, again, not the role of the county attorney. It does seem to me, and you tell me if I have this a little bit uh, off, Brett, I've been talking about this race as the most important race because it's what preserves Arizona or at least Maricopa County and Phoenix from becoming those other precincts you just mentioned, Portland, Seattle, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, when it comes to crime, quality of life and social destruction. That is that that that's why I've kind of viewed it as 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 important in that respect, not important in respect of being able to be the one who decides what laws are to be enforced and what laws aren't. Right. Uh, that That's that's how uh, you you've been making that argument. But that is the slippery slippery slope as to where we are going to be going, where one person, regardless of what the law is, makes determination. And that it makes us closer, actually, to even worse than what happened in Portland, Seattle, yeah. on those small little um, um, triggers. It's basically the rule of law itself. And the United right. States is bound by the rule of law. And if you undermine that by one person making that determination, you're going to have consequences. Right, right. Absolutely right. Now, she says, Miss Gunnigal does on this questionnaire, my goal is to bring our incarceration rate down in line with states like Utah to save taxpayer money. Well, Utah is an interesting example, uh, but again, um, this notion that you can fight crime and create safety by opposing uh, incarceration generally and not wanting to uh, incarcerate uh, criminals is an experiment that um, nowhere works. And, and a friend of ours, Steve exactly Twist, right. has this graph. A friend of ours, you know, he, right? You know the graph. <laughs> He's yeah, I do the graph. You I know the, the graph. graph. And it, it, the graph. And it shows an interesting thing. It shouldn't be interesting, but I give you the times. It's interesting. As 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 our quality of life goes up and, and crime goes down, it's resultant of, you know, more arrests and putting more dangerous people off the streets. Well, and, and let's let's actually bring it back to our duties too, right? Um, for for the county attorney, the county attorney is is obligated to bring cases for prosecution. The judge then gives the sentence, or in some cases, the jury, and and then after that, once that person is literally locked up and, and taken taken away from the courtroom, there's there's two entities that are involved in that that role: the sheriff, and then eventually eventually the bureau of, of prisons, right? And or Board of Corrections in, in, in Arizona. That's it. The prosecutor is job is in the courtroom. That's it's right. somebody else's right. responsibility for incarceration. So right. we have a big problem, not just in the county attorney's race, but in other people's races when they're starting to talk about, I'm going to assume duties that are given to somebody else because I don't think that they're doing them correctly. That's really dangerous. And that's exactly what the legislature, why 
You know, they put confines or four squares around somebody's job responsibilities. And just like, you know, I, I, I work, I'm a, I'm a litigator and I'm an appellate attorney. I don't do transactional law and, and I stay within my lane. And, and other lawyers respect that, and they don't try to come over and be litigators. And you have to kind of stay within your lane, especially in the legal field. My guess is if you started freelancing into those areas of law in which you're not expertise or in which your position is not defined, the areas that are in your expertise or where the areas are defined would start to suffer. This is the problem of government generally. When it gets into areas that it doesn't belong, it, when it gets into areas that the Constitution or the statute doesn't give them authority over, when it gets them into things that are not their primary concern, those primary concerns fall by the wayside. That, that's absolutely right. And, and that's the reason why we have divided government, and divided executive offices, so people can, can concentrate on what they're actually hired for or elected for versus trying to go do all jobs to everybody. Yeah. It's, it's, it's somebody else's. Now, don't get me wrong. I think it's completely appropriate for the county attorney to complain about what the sheriff does or complain about prisons because, you know, transport back and forth to court, et cetera. But once, once they've done their job, that's where the line should be drawn. Um, now, there's, there's certain cases about the diversion programs, sure. um, possibly through the judicial system that the judiciary sets up and the county attorney obviously participates in. But um, those, those are few and far between. And it's really up to the county attorney to just do their job and, and bring cases uh, all the way to trial. Yeah, and not be a super legislature, legislature or oh. super judge. Exactly right. Exactly right. Exactly. If you don't like the the confines of the job, if you don't like the task of enfor- of uh, prosecuting the law, you know, no one's forcing her to run. <laughs> you find that's, another that's exactly job. Right. Run for state legislature and change that law. Brett Johnson, you are or- the best, sir. <laughs> Thank you very Thank much. Thank you, Seth. As always, okay. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Whenever, whenever I hear that song uh, coming in, it's it's by a guy named um, uh, Ilo uh, Ferreira. Um, he, he was a musician. I, I is a musician. I I always think about a line Gandhi once said, or attributed to Gandhi, saying, um, "No matter what you do in life that you may consider not important." Make sure that you do it because it is important. In other words, always do your best. You never know who's watching. So this guy who no one had ever heard of, Elo Ferreira, is uh, performing somewhere in Nowheresville, somewhere I think in the Canary Islands, if I'm not mistaken. And Jimmy Buffett wanders into the bar just as a customer. And here's this guy playing, loves him so much. Talks to him, offers him a record contract. This guy becomes a famous musician, or at least a very much more successful musician, uh, by dint of uh, his work with Jimmy Buffett. And you know, if he just if he wasn't doing his best that night, you know, Jimmy Buffett probably would have just shrugged his shoulders, and no one would have been ten cents the wiser. Not Elo, not Jimmy, not you, not me, not anyone who loves this guy. So, uh, whenever you are tasked, I have always thought of that message. You know, whenever you do something. Put your all in it. You never know who's watching. It goes a lot of different directions, too. I mean, I was I was thinking about, you know, if your character, they say, is what you're doing when no one's watching. There are so many <laughs> watchers out there now. Always be at your best because someone's always watching. Someone's always watching for good and for ill. Good thing to keep in mind. I didn't think I'd close the show that way, but... Not a bad thing to close the show with, perhaps. All right. Good time today. Thank you for spending some of it with us. Really appreciate it. And uh, until tomorrow, God bless you all. I'm Seth Liebson, and class is dismissed.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.